Hello and welcome back to Fix the Money. We're based here in Central Europe. Obviously, all of our content is available on fixthemoney.net, and we got a treat for you today. We've got Nico Yiddish in the room, and we're speaking with Mr. Brian Holman. He is an attorney at law at Stadler Volkel. So he is uh, an American attorney living here in Europe. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for coming on the program. Give a little bit of an intro to some of the audience. They know a little bit about what you do, what you're all about, and basically what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, thanks, Yael. Uh, thanks, Nico, for having me. Um, my name is Brian Holman. I am uh, an attorney at Stadler Vöckel, an Austrian law firm that's uh, a crypto boutique known for um, doing the first ICO in Austria back in 2016, the first STO in 2018. Um, I am a regulatory lawyer and a capital markets lawyer, uh, so I've been involved in the um, crypto space since 2018 um, and um, excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you, Brian. Thank you for, for, for joining us in our humble little office here in, 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 in Vienna. Um, there's a lot of confusion going on right now with, uh, with regards to, to regulation. We have two big regulatory pushes, one in the US by the SEC and, and um, one in Europe by the European Parliament, the EU, whatever, with the so-called Mika regulation. Um, and today we want to find out what, what are the differences and what, what, with your expertise especially, um, if I'm an American Bitcoin or crypto firm, if I want to go to Europe, what do I have to, 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 to know? What do I have to, to um, you know, um, have an eye on, right? And then, of course, what's going on in the US. Um, but maybe we'll start with Europe um, because we're sitting in Europe and, and the Mika regulation is something ma many people talk about, but not so many people know about. So what is it? What changes? And what are the, the most important things, um, you know, that maybe American companies need to know? Yeah, so MICA stands for uh, Markets in Crypto Assets Regulation. Uh, it's a brand new regulation on the European Union level. Um, it actually went into, uh, into effect today. We're actually recording this on the day that MICA goes into effect. So happy birthday to MICA. That was obviously planned. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it basically introduces a comprehensive regulatory framework for crypto assets within the European Union. Uh, it's one of the first... Um, comprehensive crypto laws to exist um, in, in the world, certainly the Western world. Um, and and it, what it does, it introduces license requirements, uh, it formalizes white paper requirements, uh, disclosure requirements for anyone who wants to issue crypto assets within the European Union um, or offer crypto asset services to customers within the European Union. And does it see a difference between Bitcoin and crypto just the way the SEC seems to see it? Or is that not something that is in this regulatory? Um, and so Mika introduces a brand new concept called a crypto asset. It, it defines crypto asset as um, basically um, a, um, a digital, I don't have the definition with me here, um, it introduces a new um, concept of crypto asset. Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Sure. Um, I you know I have to remember the yeah. question. <laughs> you you can you can cut this out, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, so so what I, I would, so what 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 I want to go to because yeah. just what you told me. I want to get to the whole SEC thing. So now we talked about the crypto thing, and now we talked about Mika, and now I want I want you to tell me the whole the SEC sees the difference oh, between yeah. Bitcoin and crypto, and then we can I can ask um, what's what's uh, uh, so maybe I'll give you a different question and I'll lead you there. Okay, okay sure. so we'll start now. Is that okay? Should I do it? Okay. So in the U.S., we also see a regulatory push right now. We see the SEC suing Binance. We see them suing Coinbase. Um, where, where's, where are they going with this? Yeah, so in the U.S., it's a completely different regulatory environment. Um, basically, the, the SEC, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates um, securities and the financial markets generally, they view all cryptocurrencies, except for Bitcoin, to qualify as securities under U.S. law. Um, the result of that is that any crypto business in the United States or um, that accepts U.S. customers has to comply 
with the U.S. Securities Act, the Securities Exchange Act, and a whole host of other rules that are designed for the traditional financial markets. Um, in contrast, in the EU, we have a special um, regulation now with MiCA that's specifically designed for crypto assets, and um, it is designed for crypto asset service providers. This is interesting. So basically what you're saying is that the U.S. is going, it's just using the laws that are already there and saying, okay, Bitcoin is a, is a digital commodity and the rest are digital securities and therefore they need to be under the supervision of the Securities and Exchange Commission. And Europe is doing a whole new regulatory thing for just quote-unquote crypto. So is, is Bitcoin just another crypto asset for the Europeans? Yeah, that's right. Bitcoin qualifies as a crypto asset within the definition of Mika, along with a whole host of other digital assets out there, Ether, Ripple, everything. But the difference is that there's nobody can, you know, speak for Bitcoin. There's no, there's nobody you can, you can't call anyone. Right. There's no issuer of Bitcoin, um, but there are still rules that would apply to anybody who wanted to um, offer a Bitcoin exchange, for example. They would need to acquire a license uh, in the European Union. So with regard to Bitcoin, only Bitcoin, the Mika regulation is more interesting for somebody who wants to be in the business of Bitcoin, but it's not so much for Bitcoin itself. So Bitcoin itself still exists, but with the other, with the other cryptos like Ethereum, do they, do, does like the Ethereum foundation, do they, do they need to do anything to be within, uh, to be compliant with the, with the regulation in, in, in Europe? Well, it kind of depends. So one of the main parts of, uh, of Mika uh, has to do with the, the offer or admission to trading of crypto assets. So if you want to offer crypto assets to the public, so say if you want to do an ICO, if you're going to create your own crypto asset and want to offer it to retail uh, investors in Europe, you have an obligation to publish uh, what's called a crypto asset white paper, which is basically a disclosure document um, similar to a prospectus that you'd see in the traditional financial markets, um, you would need to notify that document to the local financial regulator in Austria. That would be the Austrian Financial Market Authority. And then you would need to publish that document and the company and the directors can be liable for any kind of misstatements that are in that document. Um, so you need the crypto asset white paper if you're going to offer tokens within the European Union or, and crucially, if you want to list those tokens or coins uh, on a crypto exchange within the European Union. Um, so then the question is for Bitcoin or Ether, you know, especially Bitcoin who doesn't really have an issuer um, or really a single, what's called in Mika, an offeror, um, who is responsible for putting together that crypto asset white paper? Well, then it is the obligation of the exchanges themselves to draw up a crypto asset white paper and have that published. All right. I, I wanted uh, one thing before we, we move on from that point, because you had mentioned in the U.S. scenario, SEC had essentially made this delineation between Bitcoin and the others. But it's still not technically uh, recognized by law. Is that something that you're pulling from SEC statements, from any of the lawsuits? Uh, essentially, the question is, is ETH uh, a security or commodity, which is the big question. Yeah, because for you it seemed a bit clear, but I don't know if that is is the understanding currently in D.C. Yeah, it used to be clear, at least <laughs> I thought um, from 2018 until this year, I thought it was clear that Ether was not a security. But uh, and the reason for that was because the former SEC chairman um, Jay Clayton um, and then uh, one of the directors Bill Hemmen um, basically were making public statements to the effect that Ether is not a security. Um, Bill Hinman had these, um, uh, what, he, what were, became known as the Hinman factors, which was a, actually at that time a novel analysis, a, a, novel, um, a novel way of uh, interpreting the Howey test. It introduced, it introduced this uh, sufficient decentralization test. Uh, so if a, if a token becomes sufficiently decentralized in the market, whatever that means, then it, morphs from something that's a security into something that's not a security. Um, and the general consensus was that Ether had attained that, that it was, it might have been a security back when it was initially offered, but it was currently, you know, out in the market um, and it's no, it's no longer a security. Now with Gary Gensler at the helm, 
um, it's a little bit less clear. I still don't think that the SEC thinks or considers Ether to be a security. They're just not so, they're not willing, it seems, to publicly state that for some reason. But I mean, the day that Ethereum switched from proof of work to proof of stake, on the same day, Gary Gensler would sit uh, and give an interview and say, well, proof of stake is basically security on that day. Yeah, so we have to distinguish, I think, between proof of stake itself and then service providers who are providing a staking as a service. Yeah, okay. Um, and the SEC went after Kraken and they, um, and they settled for, I think it was $30 million for the staking as a service program. And they most recently claimed that Coinbase's uh, staking as a service program was, was a security. I don't, I'm not aware of any allegations by the SEC that staking itself is inherently a security, but we, you never know with, with Gary Gensler what. Um. <laughs> but but it, is, it is a bit confusing because, so first of all, a quick question about the European regulation. So does Ethereum, basically the Ethereum Foundation or the Candano Foundation, do they have to like, do something to comply with this? Do they have to like do a whole white paper just for Europe? Is that something they have to do, or if this is this only uh, does this only apply for new um, for newly issued crypto assets? Yeah, it, it mostly applies to newly issued crypto assets. Um, so the Ethereum Foundation is obviously um, not currently involved in an offer or sale of ether. So since they're not, not offering, actively offering Ether onto the market, there's no obligation for them to produce a crypto asset white paper. Um, if Ether were to be traded, were to be listed on um, crypto exchanges in Europe in the future, um, once Mika becomes fully applicable, um, then there will, there will be a requirement to, for there to be an Ether white paper out there or multiple ones that are um, produced by the different exchanges. So it's the exchanges. So the white paper, maybe for, for clarification, you're not talking about one of those um, crypto white papers. You're talking about basically a prospectus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So a crypto white paper would, will look a lot more like a prospectus than it would one of the than it would like a, a white paper that would be seen back in the ICO hype. You know, um, it would it have information not only on the on the crypto asset, but also on the you know, information about the exchange that's listing the token or various risk factors, um, the type of technology used, um, you know, the blockchain technology that underlies the token, so that kind of thing. So if, if, if an exchange is listing a coin like, I don't know, Super Doge or SushiSwap or, you know, something really stupid, they would have to have that the exchange would, would go, have to go into details on the risks and the technology and, and the, the thing behind it? If they in wanted the future? to list it, yeah. yeah. In Europe? In Europe, right. That's interesting. So, and, 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 but, and, and for newly issued projects, it would be the project lead that would have to issue this, right? Correct. But, but for older ones, it would be the exchange? Right. And so the thing about Mika is actually this, this obligation for the exchanges won't come into force for some time. It'll only be 2027 mm -hmm. in which the, um, the trading platforms themselves will have to have a crypto asset white paper for crypto assets that were already listed on their exchanges before Mika entered into force. One of the most important things about Mika is that it that now there is one regulation for the whole of Europe. So I can go to one shop in Europe and I can get my license. Like if I was, for example, a, U, a big American Bitcoin exchange, uh, I would go to the Austrian uh, FMR, Finanzmarktaufsicht, which is the, the financial market authority, um, and I could get my license and I could also operate in Portugal, Malta. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So Mika has um, what's called the passporting regime where exactly like you described, if you get a license in Austria, for example, you can quote unquote passport that license into all other EU member states and effectively from one place offer your crypto asset services throughout the entire EU. Um, is, is, is like are the Austrian authorities, because that's what you do, right? As a Stadler Völkel, that's that you help companies 
um, um, work with the authorities. Like basically, you know, that's one of the things that you do. Um, do you think that 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 many companies are going to choose Austria as a as a potential launching pad for for the European market? I mean, we do. Um, we see Austria as a very favorable favorable jurisdiction to do that. Of course, we're a little bit biased since we are here sitting in, in Vienna, Austria right now. Um, but we think that Austria is a good jurisdiction um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the, um, the Austrian regulator, the FM, FMA, is quite knowledgeable, actually, in crypto issues. Because we've had STOs, we've had ICOs, we've, and we have Bitpanda here, which is a huge uh, player in the European crypto market. Exactly. Um, the first ICO, to my knowledge, in Europe happened uh, from Austria. Um, the first uh, security token offering which uh, required the, the approval of the Austrian financial regulator um, happened in Austria in 2018. Um, and so the FMA has been willing to be at the regulatory forefront of um, you know, crypto innovation. Um, so I, I don't see any reason why not to choose Austria as a jurisdiction from which to base your operations. But how about like the these discrepancies between the American way and the, Aust and the, the European way, right? In 2027, when, when how many of these crypto tokens will still be here if the SEC deems everything but Bitcoin a security? Yeah, well, so it will be interesting to see how that develops, but I think what's happening in the U.S. is basically that, I mean, the, the U.S., <laughs> despite what maybe a lot of Americans like to think, the U.S. is not the center of the world, right? They're... <laughs> They're, they're basically, from a regulatory perspective, walling them off from the rest of the world. And I think what we're going to see is that the U.S. is going to be basically exist in its own little bubble, but the rest of the world is going to carry on in terms of crypto innovation. Um, and so, yeah, maybe there won't be a lot of activity happening in the U.S., but I think Europe could become the leader in that, you know, Asia is also very big into crypto. Um, and so I, I think the U.S. is making a giant mistake in its regulatory um, uh, strategy. But um, yeah, it's good for Europe, I would say. Well, we'll see about that. I'm not, I'm, I, I do disagree a little bit, but, um, but I mean, my, my opinion is not, is not, and I'm also not a lawyer, so I don't know. Um, yeah. So one thing that's, I think, curious about all of this, and I, my colleagues, you know, they work in Brussels all the time. We follow a lot of these trilogs. Uh, boy, we make it somehow. Um, and it's very interesting to think about, you know, this is how the regulatory process shall be for these newly named crypto assets. You know, what do you think it'll do overall um, to innovation? Do you think that it will be this spur? Because I can only imagine Satoshi Nakamoto coding in his basement. Um, he goes to click publish on the Bitcoin code. And he's like, well, let me look up the rules real quick for, uh, you know, MICA or whatever it might be and uh, make sure that everything is, is uh, tilt-toe and all is fine. Doesn't it seem that there's a conflict with a lot of the spirit of the early days of the cypherpunk and cryptocurrency? Is that, is that something that, that we should continue to care about? Or do you think that that's something that MICA kind of leaves alone? No, of course. So with when it comes to any kind of regulation, there's the risk that it stifles innovation. Um, and we're still in the early days of MICA um, or MICA, and we'll, we'll see how that affects the crypto markets. But if you compare it to the United States, where basically the answer is, no, you cannot do this, um, at, least my, at least MICA is providing a, a path um, to where you can do it in a regulatory compliant way um, and, and in a legally certain way. So something that I've, so back in 2018, or at least until Mika came into force, there were a lot of questions um, about crypto offerings, for example, whether they were legal or not, what are the exact disclosure requirements? Um, and so companies that decided to push forward and to assume these risks were always operating in an environment of legal uncertainty. And so providing that kind of legal certainty, I think, is good for innovation. Um, but it will be seen, it's yet to be seen how strictly, for example, um, the, the financial regulators will, um, 
will issue the, the licenses. That's going to be an important thing to watch. Um, so there are certainly ups and downs. Um, okay. All right. Well, I think it's a, it's an interesting question to, to think about because, uh, you know, as far as I saw these negotiations ongoing in Brussels, uh, there were a lot of people in, in suits. Uh, there were a lot of uh, regulators, a lot of bureaucrats. I, I didn't see too many of the, the innovators of the space. Uh, perhaps they were in town for a meeting or two. And uh, we could probably talk off mic about all the companies uh, that were a little bit involved in, in some of the drafting of this, but that's a whole other point. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask about as well, we're obviously about fixing the money. Uh, Bitcoin is, I think, a big focus for most of the people who listen to this program. Um, so let's say you're, you're a Bitcoin brokerage or exchange. You currently have your, let's say, Austrian license. To get that Mika license, are there going to be additional next steps? Again, if you're only a Bitcoin exchange, you don't deal with any other uh, token securities, is that process going to be difficult? Or do you think that the Austrian process is good enough, like it has been in, let's say, Malta, that you could just easily carry that over to MICA? What is that process like? Yeah, so if you're a Bitcoin exchange currently operating in Austria, then you're required to have to, to be registered with the Austrian Financial Market Authority um, under the um, Fifth Anti-Money Laundering Directive. Um, the, the standards are, are pretty high. Actually, the FMA is pretty strict. Um, especially these days with issuing these registrations, you really have to prove that you um, have really robust KYC AML programs in place, that you're identifying your customers, that you're um, monitoring transaction activity, all that kind of stuff. Um, there will be, you know, it, it, there will be some kind of uh, transition that you'll have to go through to to go from being registered in Austria to being licensed under Mika. The extent of that is yet to be seen. Um, we're kind of waiting on the FMA to provide more guidance in that respect. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but is there in, is, does Mika also, I think, brings also like the role of a crypto advisor? Yeah, so, so there are a couple more types of crypto asset services uh, under Mika than there currently are um, under Austrian law. So crypto advice is one of them. Um, Crypto brokerage, uh, portfolio management is another one. Um, but this is important, right? Because all of this is still totally unregulated at, at the moment. Correct. All these are completely unregulated, but will be regulated, of course. Because I, I talked to a, a German financial advisor and he said it was funny because he's, so he's not allowed to advise on Bitcoin per se. And he's also not allowed to advise on Bitcoin um, ETPs, which is what we can buy in Europe, right? We can't buy ETFs. We already have ETPs or ETNs or whatever you call them, mm -hmm. but you, he can't advise on them. He could advise on ETFs, but solo commodity ETFs are also not allowed in Europe. So the, the famous BlackRock ETF that will probably be approved will not come to Europe. Um, but he could advise, he said, on mutual funds that had some exposure to Bitcoin. But in the future with, with, with this regulation, he could just get like an additional license and then he can tell people to buy to buy, I don't know, some Cardano or, or Sushi Swap or whatever. Yeah, so um, the thing is, under Mika, there are certain registered or entities that already hold licenses, like credit institutions or financial institutions, are already able to provide uh, certain crypto asset services. So they don't need to obtain a separate crypto license for that. Um, so. If you're already licensed, then it's a much easier path to being able to okay. offer those kind of services. But could could I get a crypto advisor license? <laughs> I mean, I don't want one, but could I? Sure. <laughs> um, so there are a few requirements, of course. Um, you have to establish a legal entity, um, and you have to obtain the license from the from the competent authority. But you certainly could. There's nothing stopping you. So I don't have to be a bank or I don't have to be a financial advisor in any other capacity. I can be a, uh, only a crypto advisor. Correct. That's interesting. Maybe maybe I do this and then I just <laughs> go there and do seminars and I say it's Bitcoin only. But no, Bitcoin only. But no, 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 Bitcoin only. Okay. But, and, and of course, if, I, if I'm a company, I can do, I can do, I can use this license to also enter all the markets in Europe, so all the, the different regulations, they, they go away, and also I can I can do ad advertising, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's the big thing that the license allows you to do. Um, it allows you to uh, advertise or market directly in 
um, in the EU. Um, so there's a really important aspect of MiCA um, that also exists under traditional financial regulation in Europe, MIFID, um, but it's the, called the reverse solicitation principle. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it basically says that if you are a company established in a third country, so like in the US or somewhere outside the EU, um, you can still accept European customers so long as they approach you at their own exclusive initiative. Mm -hmm. um, it, it doesn't work like that in the US. Uh, the US kind of takes the opposite approach where they say, if any of your customers are, are US citizens or resident in the United States, then we're gonna have jurisdiction, you have to follow our rules and we're gonna prosecute you if you don't. Europe takes a different approach saying you can still have European customers if you don't have a license, they just have to come to you first. This is what, what's now, what's happening now. Right? Correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is the way that it is uh, under, MIFID, uh, under uh, MIFID, which is the Financial Instruments um, uh, Directive, and it will also be the case for MICA, for crypto assets. But there's a very, very fine line as to what qualifies as reverse solicitation. Um, and it's been... In, in my experience, quite difficult for crypto uh, companies to walk that fine line. Um, and we're expecting more guidance from, from ESMA, so the European uh, financial regulator, as to what exactly is okay and is not okay with regard to reverse solicitation. So there was also the debate, uh, uh, Mika, regarding my, my self-host wallets. Does, does anything change? Am I allowed to run my own node? Am I allowed to, to, to run my own uh, wallet without doing some KYC anywhere? Yeah, you can still do that. Um, it doesn't really affect Mika, but what it really affects is um, another regulation. The travel the, rule. Yes, the travel yes. rule. Um, that was, that's in the transfer of funds regulation, um, which was just uh, amended to also apply to transfers of crypto assets. Um, so it, it would apply if you're sending or receiving crypto assets um, to or from a self-hosted wallet when you're dealing with a, a crypto asset service provider, so basically a licensed entity. That, that licensed entity for transfers over 1,000 euros will have the obligation to verify that you are the owner of that wallet. That is something that could happen in the future, but I, I would have to basically identify myself um, to, my, to my broker. Correct. Yeah. So the important thing to, to keep in mind is this only applies when you're dealing with um, licensed intermediaries. So the travel rule does not apply to peer-to-peer -peer transfers, um, and it only applies when you're basically touching a, a regulated entity. I see. Fix the Money is brought to you by 21Bitcoin, the easy way to buy, sell, save, and send Bitcoin. 21Bitcoin is a Bitcoin-only app, not an exchange. There's no distractions. There's an individual savings plan, very low fees, first-class personal support, and a German bank account. Based in the Austrian Alps, it's available now throughout Europe. Download now using the code FIXTHEMONEY to get up to 20% off your fees over there on 21bitcoin.app. Not your keys, not your coins. You need a hardware wallet signing device. Check out the Bitbox O2. Swiss made, secure, beautiful, open source, Tor support, Bitcoin only, and an all around outstanding product. Use the code FIXTHEMONEY on shiftcrypto.ch to get 5% off. That's the Bitbox O2, fix the money. In the future, when, when, when the whole of Mika is rolled out, right? What's the time frame here anyway? So, how, like, like very, very broad strokes. Yeah, so. Mika will be fully um, applicable by the end of 2024, the 30th of December 2024. Um, some aspects of it, so um, the, some, some chapters regarding um, some stable coins, uh, for example, which are called asset reference tokens or e-money tokens, uh, the rules on those will come into force in June or July 2024. An asset reference token is a stablecoin, basically. It references, or is that something that, yeah. Yeah, it's a type of stablecoin. Um, E-money tokens are also a type of, type of sta uh, stablecoin. Um, e examples of, of E-money would be, you know, USDC or uh, Tether. But that's it. that is a stablecoin. 
So the, right. the, and the asset reference token would be a tokenized gold or... Yeah, exactly. So tokenized gold, the, the general idea for asset reference tokens was the, the um, Libra project, yeah. you know, the Facebook uh, that, that didn't work out so well. Um, but that was the, the general idea behind asset reference tokens. It's a token that purports to maintain a stable value um, whose value is um, references the value of uh, one or more assets. That's not a single uh, official currency. How about the digital euro? Does the ECB have to write a white paper so I, that, and, and warn me about the risks? Because they should. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that's an interesting question. I, I, I haven't made too many thoughts about that, but uh, the the um, that would certainly be excluded from this. Yeah, of course it would be. Of course <laughs> it would be. I mean, it was just it was just a tongue-in-cheek question. Yeah. Um, all right. So the time frame we will start see this happening in at the start of 2024 but then it, it goes until 2027 to be fully 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 rolled out right um the question is this if in 2027 when it's fully rolled out and there's all these 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 rules in place if if something like binance still exists i as a european could still go there and there would not be any warnings and i could still lose all my money and uh 100x leverage sushi swap trades and super doge yeah, true? It, it, well, it depends on how effective Binance would be at, you know, um, making use of the reverse solicitation exception. We've been seeing in the news over the last couple of weeks that, you know, Binance, you know, country by country is, is leaving the European market. I think it was just a few days ago that they announced that uh, they're leaving the Dutch market um, because the Dutch regulator said that they uh, were targeting Dutch customers. Um, so we're going to see more guidance um, on the European level, what it means um, to make use of the reverse solicitation exemption. I think that it will they will interpret it very strictly so that it will basically not be possible for someone like Binance to, um, to be active in any way uh, in the European market without having a proper license. And do you foresee a, a flood of investments from traditional finance, will they also be dipping their toes, creating different products, finding out ways to be uh, much like Nico, the crypto advisor, uh, to have their license? You know, do you see that as something that will be a good push? I don't know what you've heard from traditional finance, from the TradFi folks. Yeah, I think it definitely will. Um, so we were talking earlier about how Mika makes it easier for already licensed entities like credit institutions to provide crypto asset services. So I think it's a field that, you know, finally there is some regulatory certainty um, and that's really important for these uh, traditional financial institutions. And so I think we'll see a lot more activity from them. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very happy uh, you mentioned that before that a lot of the stuff about the unhosted wallets is the terminology they used. Um, a lot of that in terms of the additional financial surveillance required has been dropped. I know that there were a lot of provisions that were discussed and made the rounds. Uh, thankfully, that's good. The peer-to-peer -peer economy, which uh, is the real uh, Bitcoin economy, can prosper and carry on. Um, I wonder, though, what this will mean overall for custodial services. Um, so how do, let's say there's, because there are a lot of exchanges where people just go and buy things, uh, but people also want to take out loans. They want to use let's say, their, their crypto assets and you know, put down collateral, be able to take out a larger amount. Whether they go degen and trading or they go buy a house or a car, uh, you know, how are those kind of provisions for, for kind of custodial services? How is that considered in, in Mika? Yeah, crypto custody is considered a crypto asset service under Mika, and so it will require a license <clears throat> to provide um, either crypto custody or administration. Um, yeah, when it comes to to crypto loans, um, then you have to see whether that might fall within the scope of uh, traditional financial regulation, whether that qualifies as as a security. And then you'd fall under that um, that category of regulation. So, very simple question: Is Mika the way for my bank to offer Bitcoin and crypto in my online account in the near future? Yes. Well, you can give a long answer. I just I, I, I give you short questions. You can give long answers. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, I, I really think that there's going to be a lot of institutional interest in the space. You know, we've seen it with BlackRock. Even even if they can't offer the ETF in, in Europe, I think we're going to see similar actors um, being really active in the space. You know, and as a lawyer, um, legal certainty is, is a really important thing. And I think Mika gives you that. Um, and I know it's an important thing for uh, institutionals as well. And so just to have the confidence to be active in the space um, from a regulatory perspective, I think is a game changer. I, I heard like in your voice, basically or in your arguments, you, you prefer the European approach to, the, to what the Americans are doing, right? I do. Yeah. Because? Because in the United States, it's not possible to offer crypto services without violating the law. And at least in Europe, it is with now with Mika. Right. But my question is this, and you, of course, um, um, I understand your, your point of view, but what if the U.S. really goes down the route that we see now? What if they really go down the route of having everything is a security but Bitcoin? And then, because it's, it isn't, the timing is peculiar, right? The SEC goes against Binance and Coinbase, and like five minutes later, BlackRock, the, the world's largest asset manager, files a Bitcoin ETF. So they seem to be very sure about uh, the situation of Bitcoin within the U.S., um, but not so much. But but the other stuff still seems un, like the other s questions are still unanswered. Right. And um, if the, the question is this, you said the U.S. is not is not the, the the center of the world, but in the in the financial markets they kind of are. Seventy percent of the, all the money in the world is in the U.S. And even if and if I buy uh, uh, an MSCI World um, um, stock ETF. Um, from my retirement account, 50% of that is also goes to the U.S. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the BlackRock development is uh, is very positive, but it's also not um, really in, in line with the Bitcoin ethos, I would say. It's still, it's still a regulated financial product. Um, the BlackRock still had to um, publish a prospectus on this. And so they also were going down an extremely regulated route. Um, no, I agree. I, I I don't disagree. Of course, yes, of course. I I, I mean, Bitcoiners, Bitcoiners. There, there's two basically two kinds of Bitcoiners. One bit one one is the kind of Bitcoiner where everything is bad for Bitcoin, and the other one is everything is good for Bitcoin, and there's no in between. And of course, they were fighting now about the implications of BlackRock, but in the end, it was this was always coming. This was always coming at some at some level. Um, so it's not like something. It's not like it's not like I can call up Larry Fink and can and can tell him. Um, I actually met the guy in 2018. I had, a, I had an interview with him when I was still with Depresse. So and I asked him about Bitcoin back then. He said, oh, it's, it's a scam. It's going to zero. It's only used for money laundering and blah, 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 blah. And now he seems to have changed his opinion. Um, but, but this was always coming. So, so Bitcoiners wouldn't have to deal with this. But, but my question goes more into the whole, if the U.S. basically is, is excluding the American uh, market from the rest of crypto, um, is, is Europe and Asia really strong enough to support um, inflows into these other sectors for for the kind of market mania that we've seen before? Time will tell. It's hard hard to say. We'll see what the impact of Mika is. We'll see if the U.S. changes their regulatory approach. You know, maybe there's a new administration at the SEC in the next couple of years. Um, and maybe they changed their their approach with regard to crypto regulation. There are a couple of <clears throat> legislative initiatives in the U.S. Maybe those gain some traction. Um, it's just too early to tell at this point. Shouldn't basically American crypto companies that are not Bitcoin exclusive now move to Europe? I yeah, I think that yeah, that would be a good idea. Um, so. And we've already started to see a lot of interest in that, actually. Um, we, uh, Stratler Focus, we had a, a booth at the Bitcoin conference um, uh, last month, <clears throat> and we spoke to hundreds of Bitcoin enthusiasts, and a lot of people were very interested in what Europe was doing. You know, they were very disappointed in the way that the SEC was going after, you know, all these big companies. Um, and there was a lot of interest in bringing their operations over to Europe. And so I think that it's it's starting to happen now. And if the U.S. continues on this path, then it will pick up even more. 
So I want to give a, a challenge to the idea that uh, the U.S. is a, a chaotic mess when it comes to this right now. Uh, so if you are a, a Bitcoin-only brokerage, uh, you essentially have to register twice. You register with FinCEN, and you register with your state where you're offering the services for a money transmission license. Sorry, we're going really deep in the weeds here. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you're a, a Bitcoin-only brokerage in these areas and you have, you've registered with FinCEN and you have your state transmission license, uh, essentially, if you're only doing Bitcoin, there really are no big regulatory problems as of right now. Isn't that correct? Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure, actually. I know that's been the general approach. <clears throat> But I, you know, if Bitcoin is considered uh, firmly a commodity, then I would think they would also have to get a license as a commodities exchange. So through the CFTC, correct, so the commodities yeah. regulator. And I think there, from my understanding, and uh, I've watched way too much C-SPAN, uh, is the idea that because there's this inter-jurisdictional battle between SEC and CFTC, it's been a bit unclear. As far as I know, the requirement is... FinCEN and your state money transmission license, but there is this other process with CFTC as well. I don't know exactly the name of that license and whether you should be a commodities broker or whatever it might be. I don't know if those companies have done it. I just know for sure it has been through FinCEN uh, for the money laundering stuff, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah, FinCEN is, is yeah, from for this uh, Bank Secrecy Act um, money transmission. That yeah, kind of we'll, thing. we'll get rid of it soon enough. That's uh, that's one of my goals. <laughs> <laughs> that and FATCA, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, right. There's been this, I mean, you, you touched on it, this regulatory battle um, for crypto between the CFTC and the SEC. Um, and yeah, that's currently taking place. The SEC has taken, obviously, a very... Um, aggressive approach to what it considers to be a security. The, the CFTC has said, you know, hold on now, um, Bitcoin and probably a lot of other crypto assets are commodities falling under our jurisdiction. So um, it's kind of a battle that's happening, uh, playing out in the courts right now. Uh, and yeah, we'll see how, how it resolves itself. Because I think there are a lot of great innovative states that have foreseen a lot of this and they've offered different regimes, different ways of doing it, particularly in states like Wyoming, where they have, you know, special deposit corporations where you can kind of do your, your crypto stuff. And there you see that the decentralized model of the U.S. actually kind of works to Bitcoiners' favor uh, in a certain way. And I know that we don't have a, a keen distinction, but I think that is one key difference between the European approach, which is Let's not just, you know, harmonize all the rules with Mika. Let's centralize it so it is one single license. And then in the U.S., it's more that, well, you got to go state to state to state to state to get your money transmission license. And then we have, like, the Uber All registration with FinCEN or whether it be CFTC. I, I'm still, I think, for someone who is a consumer, someone who is a Bitcoiner who might be interested in acquiring, let's say I'm in the U.S. or I mean, Europe, I still prefer that decentralized approach because, again, you're not having to deal because you're a Bitcoin only uh, brokerage with many of these other rules, white papers, you know, disclosures. You know, you're not having to touch any of that stuff. So I, I wonder what the impact will be for Bitcoin world versus the normal crypto world. And we can all agree there's a, a lot of money that's being invested in the alternative crypto world, but we still have over 50 percent Bitcoin dominance. So that, that's got to speak for something. It's just like the U.S. dominance in the MSCI world. It's also over 50%. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm coming at from it from, a, you know, a crypto, you know, as a whole perspective. And so um, I know that, um, you know, Bitcoin is obviously very important. But, you know, a lot of exchanges out there don't want to list only Bitcoin. Um, just as a business necessity. And so this will affect all of those exchanges. And, and um, just the simple fact is if you have an exchange that lists something other than Bitcoin, then the two situations are either you have to obtain a securities, uh, a national securities exchange license in the U.S. with the SEC, which is virtually impossible, uh, or you can take this... Um, regulatory path that the European legislator has carved out specifically for crypto companies. 
Uh, this is interesting. This is interesting. Did you just say it's impossible to get the, the, the license? Um, I mean, if Coinbase wanted that license, they wouldn't even get it. So that's been one of their main arguments that it's virtually impossible um, to obtain a license as a national exchange. Um, there has been one company um, that's gotten a lot of heat uh, in the last weeks on, on Twitter um, that became registered as a crypto broker, I believe. I think the name of the company was Prometheum. Um, but the, but the um, company, they, they don't really list any assets. There's not really any trading. It's been kind of curious why they would receive uh, the license that they did. Um, so in, in the U.S., so it, a lot of, from the crypto perspective, and this is really what Coinbase is arguing in their lawsuit, you know, it's not really genuine for Gary Gensler when he says, come in and register. It's as simple as filling out a form on our website. No, it's really not. Um, there are things um, that are unique to the crypto industry or rules, more importantly, that are designed for the traditional financial industry that are not applicable to crypto companies. And so that's what mm -hmm. makes it extremely difficult or impossible. But I've seen the interview that uh, Brian Armstrong did with uh, the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, and, and he basically argued that all the crypto tokens that, that are uh, listed on uh, Coinbase are, are commodities. And of course, that's absurd. That cannot be possible. Even I mean, he even lists by the Binance talk token that is specifically you know issued by Binance as a Binance token, um, and that is also specifically part of the the SEC's lawsuit with with Binance. Yeah, I mean it's it's just posturing at this point. Um, that's kind of what he has to argue, um, <clears throat> but. Yeah, we're, you know, the SEC is in multiple battles on multiple fronts in the United States uh, in the courts as to what is and what is not a security. And we're, we will only get the answer from the courts. So with regards to, to Mika, um, here's what I think. I think that when it comes to issuing crypto securities in the future, like when you have to give like you have to register basically with the with the EU financial markets authorities before you even do this. You know, if, if you wanted to start something like Ethereum or Cardano in 2028, right? Then you would have to go through all jump through all those hoops, right? So I would say that probably nobody is going to do that. At, not 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 in not in the, in the traditional way, not in the way that we see now. So my, my question is this: Does this actually open? the door to innovation basically coming from the, the, the traditional financial sector, um, trying out new things um, and, and new new kinds of assets in the crypto world because they can they have the the, the the knowledge to work with the regulators, they have the money to to spend on all these on all these offerings. So basically does this open a whole new world that has actually nothing to do with how, what we think of crypto but could be could be something that is that is innovative in the in the centralized model because as long as you have to write a, a white paper you're centralized there's nothing about this there's nothing decentralized there so but that's fine if you if you if you admit this from the start right um, like a big bank right I don't know o uh, issuing some sort of crypto um, token that is that is representing some sort of value. I don't know. I don't want to go into details because yeah. you know, but I, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they could do a stable coin, <clears throat> for example, or like an e-money token or an asset reference token. Um, but I think one important clarification with the white paper requirement is if you're just going to issue a normal token uh, that would qualify as a crypto asset, there's there's actually not a it's not a license obligation. You have to you do have to produce a crypto asset white paper and you do have to notify it to the competent authority. You basically have to send it to them, say, hey, this is our crypto asset white paper. We're going to offer um, these tokens within the European Union um, and you have to publish that crypto asset white paper. But you do not need the FMA's approval to um, to issue those tokens. It's different if you're issuing asset reference tokens or e-money tokens or um, trying to provide crypto asset services. Um, in those cases, you do need a license, but w when it's simply issuing crypto assets, then it's just a notification, not a license. Wait, could I, if I <clears throat> say I have a big bank, right? I'm the Mika. I could, I could issue stable coins. Correct. I uh, could issue a euro stable coin, or a dollar stable coin. Or yeah, 
or you could. Um, so the thing, so stable coins are regulated slightly differently under Mika. There are a few more requirements. Um, you do need an authorization, so you do need a license. Um, if you're not a bank, if you are a bank, you don't need a separate license, but you do need the crypto asset white paper to be approved by the financial regulator. Who is that financial regulator? In Austria, that would be the Financial Market Authority. So you need, you can, I can do a stablecoin, an officially licensed stablecoin, and I would only need to find one um, regulator that, regu that, that says that's fine within Europe. Correct. All right. That's gotta be fun, and, <laughs> and and I can do the same with asset with asset. What was it called? Asset, asset referenced tokens. So yeah. that would be a stable coin, maybe like based on gold. Correct. Backed by gold, backed by financial instruments, backed by uh, a basket of official currencies, for example. Uh, backed by Bitcoin. Backed by Bitcoin. Sure. Yeah, crypto assets. Yeah. Has anybody told the ECB about this? <laughs> well, the thing is, if they, um, if the, if if those types of issuers get too large, then they are no longer regulated on the national level, but they become regulated on the European level by the European Banking Authority. So that is the ECB. Yeah. Huh. But well, what you're saying is that with with Mika, we're basically entering a possible world of free banking, where any bank, any company can issue their own money. Yeah, that's the, that's one of the very interesting things about Mika. But the so there are some restrictions um, uh, in terms of uh, how many tokens can be issued, what the trading volumes can be, uh, and then as I was saying. At some point, they, it does get regulated on the European level. Yeah, but you're still officially there and you're still regulated. But if you, if you I'll have to think about this. <laughs> this is the first. This is the first really interesting thing. By the way, yeah, we call it self-hosted wallets. We do not call it the other way. Oh, I know that. I was just trying to follow ah. the European uh, terminology. And by the way, what you're describing, Nico, is uh, Terra USD. Back <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <That laughs> by Bitcoin. Did they, did, did they get? Terra get big enough to be uh, uh, supervised by the European Banking Authority at some point? Poor, that's Probably. a great question. It's like, it's like the, the moment it hits the ECB, it's like, look at this, and it's gone. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we've, uh, we've gone all over that. Uh, you've been very generous with your time, Brian. Uh, if, if there's something that we didn't cover, uh, or perhaps we didn't ask, or something in detail that you wanted to, to at least spit out, and, and maybe it's the you know, lightning alias of your node or something like that. Anything else you want to share with the fix the money audience? Yeah, one last thing, I guess we were talking a bit earlier about um, crypto asset white papers and how there has to be a, you know, crypto asset white paper for Bitcoin and maybe a bunch of different exchanges have to produce their own crypto asset white papers. Um, something that we're doing at Stratler Fokker that we're working on right now is coming up with a, a template for the Bitcoin crypto asset white paper. Uh, or for the Ethereum, uh, Ether crypto asset white paper. And we're hoping this can be used um, once it's ready as a template um, in Austria and hopefully in other EU member states um, for exchanges and other crypto asset service providers, trying to make it a little bit easier for, for those companies to comply with the requirements under this new regulatory framework. Well, there we go. There's the pitch. All right. We've been speaking with Brian Hallman. Thanks so much for, for the time. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes. So uh, any interested people out there can go and click and figure out if maybe they want to join in on this template. Are you in uh, Twitter or LinkedIn or, or any uh, of Yeah, these, you like can Facebook? find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Connect can, with can me we... there. My DMs are open. Excellent. So we can, we can put your link in the show notes, right? Yep. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for, um, for taking the time, Brian. Um, and uh, giving us this uh, glimpse into the European and the American regulation. Yell, um, did I stop you from, from giving us the outro? You did not, but uh, that we will. Until next time, talk to you guys soon. Bye. For more content, articles, and podcasts like this, go to fixthemoney.net.